Okay, good morning. Uh, this, this week on Facebook, I asked a question. I said, let me know, just out of curiosity, what's the worst, what is the worst gift that you have ever received? And I loved the answers. There was such a variety. One person told me, well, I got a box of Whoppers, and inside the box of Whoppers was just one single Whopper. And they told me I had to share that. <laughs> and then her husband said, well, my worst gift was I got gallons of pickles, gallons of pickles. You know, you think about that and you think you come to whatever gift it is and, and it's wrapped so beautifully and you're so excited and then you open it and it's wow, wow, wow. So what do you say? Sometimes you come to a gift in your life and it has been inappropriately wrapped. I think if you're going to get some pickles or some Whoppers, that it should not be wrapped so beautifully that you expect something great, right? Someone else said they got a gift card, a gift card with nothing on it, and the note that said, maybe next year I can put something on it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Someone who was uh, kind of in their goth stage, they said, uh, she said, I, I got a, a, a pink velvet jumpsuit, <laughs> which is not what someone in their goth stage wants. It was not so good. Someone else said, yeah, I got, when I was a kid, I got a box of turnips. Well, that sounds like a great one too, doesn't it? Um, someone had Christmas with grandma, and uh, their cousin was opening their gifts and opened up one. It was, grandma got, got the cousin a snowboard. Awesome. Way to go, Grandma. And then the cousin opened up their second one, and they got uh, a digital keyboard. Awesome. Way to go, Grandma. Going to learn to play the piano. Going to go do some snowboarding. And so then it was her turn to open her presents from Grandma. She got soap. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You just think it's going to be so great sometimes, and then you open it, and it's not. We can call that an inappropriate, inappropriately wrapped gift. You're excited about it, and you open it, and you realize, wow, they really oversold that. <laughs> they really oversold that. But you know what? We have the greatest gift that has been given to us. We honestly do. And John, who was one of the, the followers of Jesus, who lived, lived with Jesus, followed Jesus around for three years while Jesus was ministering, John he gives us, he puts into words this gift. I want to read a couple of verses. They'll be on the screen for you. John chapter 3, verse 16. John says this, For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. He gave, that's the gift. He gave his one and only son so that everyone, so who is this gift for? Everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's an amazing gift that God has given to us. No disappointment there, right? You open that gift, it's, it's a gift for life. And in fact, um, John in chapter 10, he goes on to say it is a gift of life. He says, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, my purpose, this is a quote from Jesus, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. What is he going to give you? The gift of life. That is an amazing gift that God has given us. And John gives us more information. The next verse after John 3.16, verse 17, John says, God sent his son into the world 
not to judge the world. That's an amazing gift in and of itself, that God did not come here to walk among us to judge us, but to save the world through him. This is what we call the good news. The good news. It's what we call the gospel, but I like to call it the good news because that's what it is. The bad news is judgment. The good news is God wants to save us. He wants to connect with us. He came and lived and died for us. That is the good news. But sometimes we take this amazing gift called the good news and we have a tendency to do the opposite of what I talked about because we were talking about an inappropriately wrapped gift, how it may look real nice, but on the inside there could be disappointment. But we do the opposite. With God's amazing gift, we have a tendency to, to wrap it inappropriately. But the problem is we take this amazing gift that God has given us and we put traditions and wrapping, put behavior and actions, and we wrap this amazing gift inappropriately. Now last week we talked about, and I showed you where Jesus said, that they're going to know, the world is going to know if you're really a follower of Jesus, if you really belong to him. And here's how they'll know, by the way that you love those other believers. The way you love them, other Christ followers, other Christians, will tell the world if you are really a believer, a follower of Jesus. So that means that we, if you're a follower of Jesus, we are living we're walking, talking, loving containers for the good news. We are the wrapping for the good news. We are the wrapping for that gift that we call the good news. Now think about this. I, I think about this, especially while... I was preparing this. I think about all the times in my life that I have inappropriately wrapped God's amazing gift called the good news. I think about the times in my life that I have taken this amazing gift called the good news and perhaps I wrapped it in judgment. Maybe you can relate. Maybe there's been a time that it has been wrapped, this amazing gift called the good news, wrapped in anger, wrapped in road rage, wrapped with impatience. Or maybe something wasn't going my way that day and I wrapped it in passive-aggressive behavior. Or I wrapped it in condemnation. Or I, I wrapped it with a look of disgust. Some of you this morning have had a run-in. Before you came to Stuttgart Harvest Church, perhaps, maybe somewhere in your past you had some kind of run-in with a Christian. And because of the way that they behaved and because of the way that they responded or they treated you or they looked at you, because of something about that run-in, maybe you ran away. And you said, I'm not going to have anything to do with Christians or anything Christian. 
because of the run-in that you had with one. Because of the way some Christian treated you, you said to yourself, or maybe you publicized it, I'm not going to have anything to do with this thing called Christianity. After you were talked about, after you were judged, perhaps after you were ignored or maybe you were made fun of, after you were singled out somehow in a group, you ran away from all things Christian. Or maybe, maybe you have been involved in church for years and years and years. And maybe there's something you did or something you said that made someone run away from all things Christian. Sometimes people from church can take this most amazing gift that God has given us and we can wrap it in something that makes people run away from that gift. So I believe we can say this phrase, people from church can keep people from church. Now, let's uh, hit rewind this morning. And we're going to jump back to the late 1800s, the early 1900s. And during that time, there was this one particular guy I want to look at for just a moment. His name was Gandhi. Gandhi um, met his first Christians, came into contact with his first Christians when Gandhi was a child as he was growing up in India. And what Gandhi saw, he hated the way that this Christian missionary was, uh, was talking, the way they were casting judgment, the way they were kind of spewing out some anger and some ridicule. Gandhi, at that point, as a child, determined, I don't want to be a part of anything that is Christian. I don't want to be a part of anything like that. Now, that's when he was a child. But later, as Gandhi was an adult, Gandhi decided, I'm going to read the New Testament. I'm going to read about this man named Jesus. And he did. He read the New Testament on his own, decided as an adult. And here's one of the quotes from Gandhi. It's going to be on the screen. He said this, Jesus, a man who was completely innocent, offered himself as a sacrifice for the good of others, including his enemies, and became the ransom of the world. And he said it was the perfect act. After reading the New Testament, Gandhi came to this conclusion. That's pretty significant, right? Pretty amazing. A missionary named Stanley Jones did, in Gandhi's adult life, become very good friends with Gandhi. So a Christian missionary and Gandhi, very close friends. Um, This missionary, Stanley Jones, he recalls in his book a time that Gandhi, as an adult, after he had been investigating Christianity, Gandhi was in South Africa on a trip, and Gandhi decided to go and to to attend a Christian church, a Christian worship experience. And so Gandhi shows up, he walks through the parking lot up to the steps of this church, and somebody meets him on the steps, 
And that person tells Gandhi, whoa, 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 you can't come in here. You're going to have to leave or I'm going to have you removed. Do you know why? Because Gandhi was not white. Interesting. I think this is a true statement. People from church can keep people from church. Gandhi later told Stanley Jones, the missionary, he said this. He said, all you Christians, missionaries and all, must live more like Jesus. You know, while Gandhi respected Jesus, Gandhi never, ever, ever unwrapped the gift of Jesus. Perhaps... Perhaps Gandhi could just never get past how that gift of Jesus was wrapped all around him. And just perhaps Gandhi never was able to really see the miracle of lives that God was changing because he could not get past the way it was wrapped. Gandhi later in life finally said this. He said, my reason, in other words, my logic was not ready. Because he's talking about this after other Christian missionaries were pressing him. It was just not ready to accept that Jesus, by his death and by his blood, redeemed the sins of the world. He goes on. He said, I could accept Jesus as a martyr, as the embodiment of sacrifice, and a divine teacher, but not as the most perfect man to have ever been born. Gandhi was perhaps never able to get past the way this good news was wrapped. It was inappropriately wrapped as it was presented to Gandhi. Now, let's uh, fast forward a bit here back to today. Let's fast forward and bring us from the late 1800s, the early 1900s to today. 2019, American Christianity. I think another way that we could word this, we worded it this way last week. I, I want to word it this way again this week. Perhaps we can really better word this to give it a, a, a word picture for our minds to understand. American Christianity. Perhaps we should call it vertical Christianity. Because it's what we so often see in the United States. We have this desire to seek God. And that is me seeking out God, a vertical Christianity. We have this desire perhaps to have a prayer time or a quiet time. And that is me digging into a, a, a time alone with God between me and God. That's a vertical Christianity. We have this desire sometimes to dig into God's Word, into the Scripture, and I dig into the Word, and I talk to God about it, and that is me talking to God about His Word, a vertical Christianity. We get into our cars frequently, and we'll listen to a radio station, maybe K-Love, and that is me listening to worship music, songs about God, songs about the faith, and I'm having this experience between me via K-Love Me, and God, that's a vertical Christianity. Even when I go into God's Word and I select something that I know I need to memorize and bring it into my life, it's going to help me. I, I memorize some Scripture that is between me and 
God of vertical Christianity. And so often, even as we meet together here on a Sunday, even though we are in a group, we often come into this room and we say, I'm here to worship God. I am here for God to to motivate me and change me and challenge me and encourage me. And that is me and God of vertical Christianity. Even when we scour God's word and we're looking for promises to claim, to say, God, you said this, I can claim this for my life. That is me and God a vertical Christianity. And by and large, in the United States, that's what it means when we say we are a Christ follower, by and large. And those are good things. Please don't misunderstand me because yes, we need to seek God. And yes, we need to have a time set aside where we can talk to God and pray. Uh, It's often called a quiet time. Yes, we need to study the Bible, the scriptures, especially the New Testament and dig in deeply to the words of Jesus and, and the letters written to encourage the new followers of Jesus. Yes, We need to do that. That is a very, very good thing. Yes, we need to memorize Scripture. Yes, and yes, we need to gather together on a Sunday. And we need to worship together, yes. But, we think this. We think to ourselves, okay, I can go to church. Now, let me hit pause for just a moment. If you want to really understand that phrase, go to church. Please listen to last week's teaching, all right? But we have this tendency to say, we can go to church, we can worship God, we can sing the songs, we can listen to the teaching, we can make spiritual decisions as we follow God. We can do that, yes, yes. And we can get to a place where we are okay with God once again, even though... I don't like you. God and I are okay. God and I are all right. But I don't have to be okay with you. I do need to make sure that I'm okay with God. And I can get to a place where I am right with God, even though I'm not right with them. No wonder people from church can keep people from church. We all have a tendency at times in our lives to inappropriately wrap the gift of the good news especially when we think that we can be okay with God. At the same time, I'm not okay with them. That is vertical Christianity. Very, very prevalent in the United States and very much taught in the United States. But Jesus tells us that that's not really the way it works. Jesus says, if you want to please me vertically, 
then you're going to mind your relationships horizontally. That's what Jesus says. And he highlights this in the passage we're going to read this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. Jesus, these are the words of Christ. He says, so if you're presenting your sacrifice at the altar in the temple, let me pause here for a moment. Because this was not, I mean, this is just casual, just kind of flows out of the mouth of Jesus, but this was no casual thing. This was not easy to do. Presenting your sacrifice at the temple at the, to get it to the altar was no easy task. It was not meant to be an easy task. It was very difficult. You had to go through all the work of getting your sacrifice, and it was a lot of work. And then, this was, it was kind of like showing up at Disney World and trying to get onto the newest ride that they have. You can expect there's going to be long, long lines, and you're going to be twisting and turning from turnstile, turnstile, twist, and turn and turn. They'll make, they'll make a 100-foot walk into a mile <laughs> at Disney World. And that's kind of what this was like. The long, long lines in order for you to get to the point where you could make your sacrifice. You're having to go through all these gates and twist and turn through all of this, this maze of people. And so Jesus is saying this, let's say you are in that process. You've got, gone through all of the difficult work to get your sacrifice. Now all of the difficult work, hours and hours in line to make it to the front of the line. And Jesus says, at that moment, you reach the front of the line and suddenly your mind hits the rewind button and you hear in your mind, you remember, hey, 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 wait, 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 wait. You, you have really hurt this person over there with something you said. And you're like, Seriously? God, seriously, now, now, I mean, I just made it to the front of the line. He says, your mind remembers you have offended someone. He goes on. And suddenly, you remember somebody has something against you. Now, verse 24, he says this, leave your sacrifice at the altar. In other words, hit the pause button right there. Take it no further. Hit pause. Leave your sacrifice at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. So in other words, you're showing up to make things right between you and God. That vertical relationship. You're working on it. You want it to be right. You want to be in good standing with God. And you suddenly realize that you're not right with them. They have something, you have offended them. They have something against you. There has been a damage, a hurt, an injury. And Jesus says, stop right there. And we say, whoa, whoa, whoa. wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute, God. I'm here to worship you. I mean, I can put that on hold. I am here to get right with you. 
I am here to worship God. You are my Savior. You deserve all of my time, all of my worship, all of my admiration. You deserve it, God. I am here to worship you. I want to make sure that, God, we are good. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You don't understand. You can't, this is what Jesus is saying, you can't be right with me vertically if you are not right with them horizontally. You can't be right with me if you're not right with them. It's like you're trying to say, God, I love you, but I hate them. And it doesn't work that way. John says this in the book of 1 John, a letter to the churches. He says this in verse 19. We love each other because he loved us first. And that's great news. Because God has loved us first. We now even have the ability to love someone else in return. He says we love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love you, but he hates the Christian brother or sister, that person, Jesus says, or John is saying here in his letter, that person is a liar. If they say, I love God, but I hate them, John says, that doesn't work. He said, that person's a liar. For we don't love people if we don't love people that we can see. He says, how can we love God whom we cannot see. John is saying, if a person does not love these other Christ followers around him, it is impossible to actually love God. As I was driving in this morning, I was thinking about this statement. And here's the thought that came through my mind. Again, in America, I don't know if this is worldwide, but I know we, we have a tendency to think of love as a feeling, something we feel. But love is always a verb. It's something we do. And I think God is trying to get us the message here. That we cannot show God love. A love that does something. A love that is a verb. If we cannot first show them love. A love that does something. A love that's a verb. It is actually impossible to love God if we hate them. No wonder people from church can keep people from church. And you say, wait a minute, Harley, wait. Just let me hit the pause button, you say. Just wait. Hang on, Harley. I believe you can love God, even if you don't love that person over there, because I've been doing it my whole life. I can love God even if everything's not okay over there. I can love God even if I don't love them. I believe 
that I can. I believe that I can love God even though that person over there has made some really idiotic decisions. I believe I can love God even though that person over there has been really, really rude and has said some really rude things to me. I don't believe what you're saying, Harley, because I believe I can love God And one day, God can change them, and I can love them too. You know, I hear this phrase often, on a weekly basis almost, this phrase that says this, well, I believe this. And I hear people say, well, I believe that, and then they go on to tell me what they believe. I believe this, and I believe that. But here's a reality. This applies to me. It applies to you. What we believe is irrelevant unless God believes the same thing. And God doesn't believe that you can love Him and hate them. Many times, because we're living this American Christianity that's all vertical, many times we end up living an inappropriately wrapped gift called the good news. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, he was the most religious person early in the New Testament among the top religious people. And then Paul discovered, I've got it all wrong. I've got it all wrong. And Paul tells us, that with our lives, that we are wrapping more than just the good news, that with our lives, we are actually containers for God Himself. God, who resides in the very soul of a believer, a follower of Jesus, we are the container for God Himself. The wrapping for that gift. We call God's Spirit. And Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. He says, you surely know that your body is a temple where the Holy Spirit lives. Surely, he says, surely you know this. The Spirit is in you. Now he's speaking to people who are followers of Jesus. The Spirit, God's Spirit is in you and is a gift from God You are no longer your own. He says, you are the container, the temple, the house where God lives through you. You're not containing just the good news. You're also containing God's very Spirit. And many times, because we are living an inappropriately wrapped gift called the good news people from church can keep people from church so this morning for just a moment let's hit the pause button let's pause for just a moment and I want to ask myself and I want you to ask yourself how many times have I 
been that person? How many times have you been that person? That person that has inappropriately wrapped the gift of the good news. How many times have you been that person? That person that drove someone away, that their response was, if that is what Christianity is like, then I'm better off staying away from them. I am better off doing this life on my own. I've got enough trauma. I don't need more from them. Now that's the pause button. But now let's hit the play button. And you know why? Because there's something that we can do this week. There's something we can do right now. And here's the first one. This week, will you look at your hate list? We've all got one. We don't want to admit it. It is not popular to admit. It is not the politically Christian right thing to do to admit that we have a hate list. But I'm going to ask you this morning, will you look at your hate list? And I've got about this list, I've got a couple of questions. Here's one. Is that list growing? When somebody hurts you, are you steady adding people to your list that you're writing out of your life? I I need to pause for a moment. Some of you have gone through with a small group or you have read on your own because we've encouraged it. You've read the book Boundaries. I'm not talking about graying or broadening your boundaries. Those boundaries are set up for a very specific purpose to protect your heart. I'm talking about your hate list. Because you can forgive those people that you have in your boundary list. So we're not talking about your boundary list. I'm talking about your hate list. And is that list growing? Now here's the second question about this list. Has that list in the past year, has it gotten any smaller? It may not be growing, but has it gotten any smaller? Or are you just living with that list? And those are the people who are on that list, and they're never coming off. This week, will you look at that list? And will you ask God, God, help me to begin the process of making this list smaller? And then smaller. Not, not number two just yet. And then smaller. Will you help me? Will you help me make it smaller? Number two. This week. God, will you help me reflect your love to other people? You help me this week to take your amazing gift called the good news that you have placed inside of my life as a follower of yours, will you help me to take this and to wrap it in love and kindness as I move about my life this week? Will you help me do that? 
Now this next one, number three, is a big one. Today, will you make a choice right now to come back next week for this whole next series? It's going to go through February and a couple of weeks into March. And here's why. It is six weeks on how we can live life this life that we have right now in the midst of even relationships that are so imperfect, relationships that are hurting. You have relationships at work that are tearing you apart and you hate to show up at work. You have relationships in your family that are ripping you apart. Relationships between parents and children, aunts and uncles, cousins, family members, brothers and sisters, you have relationships with sons and daughters that need help desperately. And you know people who are in the same condition you are in, the same context that you are in. And those are the people that need to be sitting right beside you. Will you decide now to come back because this very topic we have introduced today about that other person I'm trying to be right with God but I am not right with them we can begin to give you some help we can begin to move you down it's not going to happen in six weeks but if you will take the principles we talk about over the next six weeks and place them in your life a year from then you will be in a better place if you practice what we're going to teach you over the next six weeks. The very people who are the closest to you, the very people that we need to love more and more, that we need to love better, it is those relationships so often that cause our greatest hurt, our greatest source of pain. We're going to offer you some help. Will you decide today to be here and bring other people in your life? That's why we're going to two worship experiences. Bring other people in your life to sit beside you, and they will get help too. Will you make those decisions with us today? Let's pray and address our Heavenly Father. God, you told us that we can love you because you have loved us first. God, your love toward us was a verb. You died on the cross for us. You sacrificed for us. And because your love toward us came first, we can now have a love toward other people. You loved us, God, even though we treated you as if you were our enemy. You loved us, God, even though we lied and even though we cheated, even though we hurt ourselves and we hurt other people, God, even though we should have been on your hate list, you wrote our names on your love list. We rejected you. We mocked you. We spit upon you by the way that we chose to live our lives. But God, in return, you loved us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you. 
And now we take that love that we did not deserve. We take that love that there is no way we could have earned. And now we can love others the way you loved us. May that be the wrapping that we use for this greatest gift that you have lavished upon our lives in the name of Jesus the one who loved his enemies all the way to the cross. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.